Next week is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And uh, so this week, I'm just going to magnify Jesus a little bit as he approaches Jerusalem. This is uh, sort of a favorite time of mine to reflect on the Lord, his humanity. Um, take a look at him as he heads into Jerusalem to toward the Passover feast where his destiny is to come to a boiling point, as it were. And then uh, on next Sunday, of course, it's Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll have communion as well. So bring people. Amen. <laughs> so you can open your Bibles to chapter uh, 12 of uh, the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. And uh, you might want to put a finger in Matthew chapter 26 just to look at a different version of the account at one point. But really, John 12 will get you there um, today. And we're going to start reading from the first verse um, in, uh, in John chapter 12. And then Mark, uh, or Matthew, I mean, <laughs> Matthew chapter 26, be verses 6 through 15. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for the anointing that rests upon me and your word. Lord, help it to go out and accomplish everything that you've set it out to do. Break every yoke, set the captives free, Lord. Set them on the direct path to you, the, the narrow path, Lord. Not the broad highway that leads to hell, but the narrow path that leads to life and to you. And we thank you, Lord, for that. To heal, empower, love, and prosper is our goal here, the body of Christ. And we just thank you for that assistance in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a scripture, Luke 9.51, it says, As the time approached for him, for Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That scripture has made such an impact on me over the years. And so I never have forgotten that, that Jesus... Knowing everything that he faced in Jerusalem to finish off this three and a half year ministry, he resolutely, he resolved in his heart, he made up his mind, nothing would stop him from accomplishing that. He was saying in his heart what the psalmist said pre-incarnate about him in Psalm 138, 8, which says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. The English Standard Version says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. <clears throat> I want to tell you today that God always desires, always willing. He's always willing and able to accomplish everything that he has for your life. And it's good. And unlike the psalmist of the old covenant who seemed to believe that God was good and that he would perfect the things which concern his life. He also felt the need to ask God not to forsake him. But as new covenant believers in Christ Jesus, he's promised that he will never leave us or never forsake us. So we don't have to wonder. <clears throat> and that it's his desire that we be saved. That we be in good health and prosper even as our souls prosper. 
We're not like those who lived under the law in the old covenant. Before Jesus came, before the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. But at the same time, we have to understand that God doesn't use his sovereignty to control every detail of our lives. We have a part to play. Otherwise, he would be interfering with free will, which he doesn't want to do. And whenever a believer walks in pride or unbelief, they put off or put on hold the efforts of the Holy Spirit to work in their life, to operate and to to help them lead them and guide them and to reveal to them all the beautiful things that God so desperately wants us to know and to do. There's a part for us to play. It's a relationship. Jesus walked in great victory, in power and in peace. But it doesn't mean that he didn't have problems. He did. He was was literally born to die. (laughs) A terrible death. And he knew it. Just think of yourself at 30 years old or 33 years old and how effective you would have been administering the love of God to people who rejected you and were soon to kill you. But Jesus was sensitive to God. He didn't live by sight. He lived by faith, just like we're called to do. He trusted that God would perfect those things which concerned him. And because of that trust, he lived a life of faith in God and in what the word of God said about him. He learned about himself through the word of God. This is our objective too. And today as we look in on the life and ministry of Jesus and his journey to the cross, we're growing and strengthening our relationship with him. And on the way, finding out more about who we really are because of him and the work he accomplished on our behalf. We are becoming more and more like him, glory to glory, faith to faith, even as we sit here today and learn about him. Christ in us, the hope of glory is growing and learning to, uh, we're allowing him to live through us as we become more and more like him and put off that old, old mind. This is Palm Sunday, like I mentioned. What is that exactly? Well, 450, 500 years ago, about half a century ago, prior to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, the the prophet Zechariah had prophesied the event that we now call Palm Sunday. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. Pardon me. The prophecy was fulfilled in every way, in every particular. And it was indeed time of rejoicing as Jerusalem welcomed their king with open arms. They were shouting as he went into town that day. But unfortunately, as people are very fickle, And we know that the entire world is under the influence of the devil. This celebration was very short-lived, wasn't it? The crowds looked for a Messiah who would rescue them um, politically and free them nationally, militarily. But Jesus had come to save them spiritually. 
First things first. And mankind's primary need is spiritual. Not political. Not cultural. Or national salvation. It's spiritual. Because if you don't have the spirit of God. You can never understand the things of God. That's why we're just beating our heads against the wall. If we're trying to. If we're trying to understand why people who don't know God, who is love, hate God. And they embrace these other things which are hateful and mean. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's John twelve twenty four. So we're in John 12 today. And it's really cool because what Jesus is doing there, he's comparing his death to the planting of a seed. He was so, so awesome to always use natural examples that people could understand to explain spiritual things. And if you understand this thing about, about seeds and sowing and reaping, you'll understand all the parables and all the things of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. That's why we talk about giving so much and planting and sowing seeds. Because Jesus talked way more about that than he did anything else. He compared his death to, to planting a, a little grain of, of wheat. I like that because right now we have a lot of wheat growing. We have our, our wheat is about 16 inches on about 100 acres and 90 acres of wheat right now. And we're about to put cattle out there to start grazing it. And then at some point we'll probably harvest it this year. And we've had a lot of rain and it's really a great crop. But one little seed goes into the ground, it dies. And then the, the power within that seed is released and it springs forth and brings forth many more like it. Having sacrificed itself to bring forth many more. Well, that's what Jesus did. He compared his death and planting that seed. And he knew he would rise again and bring forth a lot of fruit. Many people with him. That's you. That's me. Brothers and sisters. God was looking for a family. And he sowed his best. The only child he had so that he could get lots more. Jesus was comparing his death and resurrection to that grain of wheat. And it had to die. And he knew that that's where he was headed for. Notice that Jesus, how he talked about it, this, this terrible situation, and how he made it into a positive. That's what we should do, by the way. <laughs> but how do, we, how do we do that? How did he do it? He was looking past that, wasn't he? He was looking, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. That used to be hard for me to say. I, it was easy for me to say he was thinking about you guys. But I can say now he was thinking about me. He loves me. We all need to take it so very personally. But first of all, he had an amazing relationship with the Father, didn't he? And he trusted him to perfect the things that concerned him. And just as we can today. Because he was thinking about us also. Hebrews 12.2 says so. He says looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. And we're to look to him. Who for the joy that was set before him. 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Today, I want to just put a little magnifying glass on the Lord Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem for the Passover feast, where his earthly ministry was about to come to fulfillment. Let's start reading in John chapter 12, through the first few verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can you just put yourself there that day? First of all, what is Passover? Passover is a Jewish festival that commemorates the Jews being freed from slavery in Egypt. The word Passover comes from the fact that when Moses was sent to Egypt to get his people, the children of Israel, out of bondage under God's direction, God had commanded the death angel to go to every house in Egypt one night and kill all the firstborn children and the, or the male children of, of each household or family. God, in fact, inflicted ten plagues upon Egypt during that time. But this was the tenth and the worst of all the plagues, and this is what would cause Pharaoh to finally release the Israelite slaves. Then, But that night, the Israelites were instructed to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a slaughtered spring lamb. And upon seeing this blood on the mantle, the, the death angel would pass over the firstborn in that home, you see. So we call it Passover. When Pharaoh freed the Israelites, they left in such a hurry that they couldn't wait for the dough to rise, so they made it without yeast. All these things are type and shadow of Jesus. The yeast is a picture of sin. But in commemoration for the duration of Passover, no leavened bread or yeast bread is is eaten. So they also have what they call the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Torah or the Old Testament. So that's where you get the matzah or the the flat bread, the unleavened bread that they that they eat for Passover. And it's a tradition uh, for that holiday. But this is one of those things from the Old Testament that were just shadow or type of what was to come. Jesus, in our story today, is about to fulfill all the Old Testament types and shadows by becoming the Passover Lamb of God, sacrificed so that we can be free, delivered from bondage, and welcomed into our eternal promised land. Amen? Our rest and our relationship with our Father in heaven. Just because we placed the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, on our hearts, our spiritual mantle. What the Word tells us, are our, which is our spiritual house in which God dwells. Amen? So it's all just a type and shadow of us and our salvation through Jesus and how we have 
been protected and redeemed and saved because of the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So anyway, Jesus arrives in Bethany where Lazarus lived. And it's just on the east side of the Mount of Olives. Um, Jerusalem's on the west side, about a mile and a half. Uh, John says uh, less than two miles. So I believe that. But Lazarus' family lived there and they were, they were the ultimate in hospitality. They, they really loved Jesus. They were his, I would say they were just his really, his best friends and closest admirers other than those who were his disciples. But Lazarus and, and, and his two sisters lived with him, Martha and Mary. And we met them first when Martha was, was uh, when Jesus was just passing through their town and they had opened up their home to him and Martha and Mary were having an argument, right? Because Martha was working so hard and Mary was just sitting at his feet. Then another time, uh, Jesus had raised Lazarus, their brother from the dead, in John chapter 11, just a chapter before this. So this was actually about two months prior to where we are now. And now here we are again in Bethany. This was a place where Jesus just really felt comfortable. We talk about Jesus being our Lord, but to really appreciate his lordship in our lives, we need to take a look at his humanity. I always like to know him, especially during this time, because next week we'll be talking about his, his deity. Amen. But I like to look at his ministry and how he labored and all the things that he went through, his friends and, and uh, enemies, and, and just to get to know him, you know. He was so thoughtful. We'd, we'd seen him with the woman at the well, just how sensitive he was and how he went out of his way to go and help her. His resolve to accomplish everything that his father wanted him to do. His pleasure and ministering and loving and healing people and his pain, you know. He grieved over, over things that were sad to him. Knowing that how sin and unbelief were bringing terrible things on people and he didn't want that for them. He had a lot of false friends too. He was mostly rejected in this world. Once uh, people's agendas were exposed, you know, they liked him at first for a while when they could get something from him. <laughs> but just like we were talking about earlier... You know, some of that wears off when, when true motives are revealed and the truth of the word begins to, to, to uh, confront you, you know. Well, Jesus was the word made flesh. And so, you know, he, one time he had over, I think, 500 followers and, he, and they all walked away from him except for the 12. And then he turned to them and said, do you want to leave too? You know, it was they were offended. They were all offended at the things he said. But the truth is the truth. And that's how we need to see it. And we need to stand up for the truth. But in Bethany, Jesus was amongst friends. People who honored him and respected him. He could relax and get some of the rest that I'm sure he needed. I know he was tired. He was loved there. And he was just could be at ease. This was probably one of the few places in, in, the, in, in those times that he felt that way. And he knew what was coming. So I think this is a beautiful time, a little time of uh, refreshing that God provided him with before he had to go on the last leg of his journey. Every man, every woman needs, needs this. We need, a, we need a Bethany in our lives from time to time. Some people just want to stay in Bethany. You don't want to do anything. And, and just, but I don't mean that. You know, we all have work to do and that's a blessing, you know. 
to do the things that God has for us to do and fulfill all that God wants us to do, just like Jesus was set out to do. But there are times of refreshing and it's necessary. We all need to be loved. We're created in God's image and He is love. And He's ultimately the source of that love. So women's number one need is to feel safe and protected and that's how they are loved and a man same thing he needs to be loved and respected and honored and without these things neither neither men nor women will really prosper and be all that they can be well in bethany jesus had all these things he was free of his critics (laughs) as it were no rejection no betrayal only love and welcoming Arms and smiles and good friends and good food and fellowship and so forth. Rest. I'm sure he was really tired from all the walking and preaching and abuse he had taken. You know what I mean. It was just a long, long journey. It was, you know, he spent 30 years preparing for a three and a half year ministry. And I'm sure it was grueling. uh, Continuously ministering along the way to Jerusalem. But anyway... Some of the people that were there, I like to look at Simon the leper is mentioned. It's the only place in the Bible he's listened. He lived there in Bethany. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. But I know he must have had in his heart uh, nothing but love. Because of the name, Simon the leper, means that he must have had leprosy in his past. We can assume that Jesus had healed this man of leprosy. We know that he wasn't going to hang out with him and still have leprosy, right? So he was there. They call him Simon the leper. It's just like he created this monument of what he had been that Jesus had been delivered from, you know, that Jesus had delivered him from. And so he was one of Jesus' loyal friends and followers. And uh, in any case, the story takes place at at a feast in honor of Jesus at his house. And if you take the accounts of Matthew and Mark along with the account of John, it gives you, um, you'll, you'll see that Jesus arrives in Bethany six days before the Passover. And then two days before uh, the Passover, they have this feast for him. So it's, it's all coming up. That, that week, this whole holy week is, is upon them. So basically, they're showing their love and appreciation, their respect for him and and really just giving him a great send-off to Jerusalem where he would meet his destiny to, to suffer and die on a cross for you and for me. Amen. So the, the dinner for Jesus at Simon the leper's house, um, just picture it. Simon, he was, he was there. He was healed from le- by, of leprosy by Jesus. He's sitting there. Lazarus is reclining at the table too. Jesus had raised him from the dead. The disciples are all around. They'd seen everything. Tons of miracles. John said he there was not enough books in the world to write it all down. They'd seen blind eyes open. They'd seen food multiplied to feed thousands. They'd seen the, the widow's son raised from the dead. The, the woman with the issue of blood healed instantly on the spot. The uh, centurion servant was healed. Uh, the lame that were healed and walked. The, the demoniacs freed from their their demonic spirits that were chain breakers, you know. <coughs> so they'd seen all this, all these people sitting there. Can you think of the awe and admiration they had to have for Jesus? They'd seen him walking on the water, calming the seas. They'd seen our Father, heard our Father God speak to him from heaven. Moses and Elijah appearing up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And on and on and on. 
And then there's Mary. Here's, here's Mary, Lazarus' sister. The, the third encounter that we've had with her in, in, uh, in Scripture. And the first time Martha was hollering from the other room to Jesus to make her help prepare dinner. But Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet just listening. And remember, he, uh, he, he took up for Mary, didn't he? He said, she's chosen the better thing. <clears throat> the next time... She was there with her brother when he died. He was in the tomb and she was all broken hearted and, and Jesus arrived what seemed like four days too late, <laughs> but it wasn't. And um, as this is where in the last chapter as well, John chapter 11, where it says Jesus wept, you know, but he raised Lazarus from the dead that day. And now here we are about two months later from the time when he raised Lazarus. Lots of history between everyone now. And Jesus is saying he, he's about to go meet his destiny. And, and here's Mary again with a, a big, what would have been an alabaster, uh, like a clear or translucent or even, a, even colored maybe, depending on the minerals in the alabaster. But it was beautiful. It'd be like a flask instead of a box. <clears throat> but it, it, it uh, like a long, narrow bottle, you know. And then... You break the top off of it and then you use the oil or the perfume that's in it. And this, in this case, was expensive nard from the, from the mountains. It actually, the spike nard plant or bush that it comes from, they say it comes only from the, it only grows in the Himalaya mountains. So that's, that's 6,000 miles from Palestine where they were. So it had to be, so the, the point is that this stuff was more valuable than gold, literally. And I mean, it was customary at religious feasts to anoint people with oil. But Mary came and she poured what amounted to about a year's pay of this expensive perfume on Jesus' head. And it says in Matthew and Mark, also on his feet in John, it says, and then she wiped his feet with her hair and the whole house was filled with this beautiful fragrance of the oil. And people, mostly the disciples, John mentioned Judas, but I believe he was just the spokesperson or the ringleader uh, of the jealousy because Matthew and Mark both say in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 8 and 9, I'll just read it. It says, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. You know, this was, this was Mary's beautiful gesture of love and respect. She didn't care what other people thought of her. I think Mary got what was really going on there. She understood. And she loved Jesus so much. And she was so grateful to the Lord. And she wanted to show her appreciation for and her affection for him. You know, she she valued Jesus, in other words. And and it, it's such an important point because we need to look and see, you know, she valued I mean, how much how much value can you put on your brother's life, you know? How much would you pay to have your brother raised from the dead, you know, or to be freed from demons, you know? <clears throat> she got it. She understood that everything that she had didn't nothing really mattered compared to her relationship, her love for Jesus. She valued him. She esteemed him highly, higher than anything else. 
And it's important that we look at Jesus and we we decide in our hearts, in our minds, how much we value him, how much we value what he's done for us, what he's delivered us from and brought us to and all of the hope that we have in eternity with him and the place he's gone to prepare for us and all of the wonderful uh, things that he's empowered us with here in this life. How much do we value, do we put on that? Is it more than anything else? Jesus said that Judas was a, well, let's just say that Judas was a a thief. And just a a few days later, he's going to, He's going to sell Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver, less than half of, of what this perfume was worth that she just poured on his feet and his head, you know. Jesus, Judas didn't value Jesus. He only valued himself. You know, we have to understand that this is important something to think about. Because if we don't esteem Jesus and the things of God highly, then it won't have a high place in our life. And other things will. And anything that comes between you and the light of God's love is a God. And we need to make sure that there's nothing more important to us than Jesus. And the only way to do that is to to reflect on those things and to... Make up your mind and your heart that, hey, this is the most important thing. And without it, there is nothing. So I'm not going to let anything come between me and Jesus. And I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) Jesus knew that they were making these comments. And they were indignant and hurt her feelings, you know. And in Matthew's account... It says that when Jesus understood it, in other words, he finally, he, he picked up on what was going on there. It says that he discerned, you know, he, he, he understood it. So he figured it out. He knew what their motive was. Then he rebuked them and he said, to, you know, don't trouble her, leave her alone. In verse 10, it says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's quite an honor Jesus gave to her. And he's telling us, he's showing us right from wrong right there. Not to ever place any value, anything more than we do Him. If it's something that we can't let go, then there's a problem. Verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted him out 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You know, Judas didn't care about the poor, did he? He was a thief. He was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. And and it says in John 12, verse 6, 
He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He was stealing from Jesus' ministry the whole time. He made this pious statement to mask over his true motives. He was a hypocrite, a liar. And Satan is the father of lies. And lying, stealing character opens the door for Satan into our lives. Those who don't love the Lord are always critical of those who do. But we need to be sure that we're aware of God's presence. Aware that Jesus is always with us. That things people do and say don't move us. We need to say we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. For everyone who will receive it. We literally have the words of life available for people everywhere. And there are many people who want to hear this good news. We don't need to worry about the scoffers and the critics and those who make light of what God has called us to do. We need to just do it anyway. You know, we take a look at at Judas and... We can take a lot of lessons from not only Mary, but also from Judas. And it's good to always reflect and to, to ask the Lord sort of where we're at, you know, and to think about these things ourselves. So a good question here is to ask just where is, where is our heart? You know, in this world that we live in, people's hearts are not not generally in the right place. <laughs> they might look like it because, you know, unlike Judas, who his, uh, his selfishness was more prevalent, you know, because of the things he did and the things that we read about him. So we know that his heart was not right. But love of self is prevalent um, in our culture and in, a, in the world that we live in. What it is is that people just conceal it a little bit better, but they're still just like Judas in their heart. They might, they're not going to come out and say that because they've gotten smart about protecting their ugly motives with, think, with saying the right things. But we see it everywhere we look. Politicians, you know, we, we see that they often champion causes not because they care about that cause. You see that by the way they change all the time. They champion these causes just to get elected. And it's not truthful. It's not a good thing. We, even in, in the workplace, employees will do what pleases their bosses just, just because of what it's going to do for them. Not, you know, and then when their backs are turned, they have a whole different attitude and demeanor because they're selfish. The same in marriages. We see such a high divorce rate and people coming against marriage. Uh, God's traditional marriage, which is the only real marriage. But marriages are broken all the time because people put more value on their self than they do on their mate. That's the only reason that marriages fail. The only reason. Now you have to get into it more to find out where... The wrong attitudes are, but that's what it is. It's putting self-love above love for someone else. And we see it even in ministry. Preachers preachers are, are always trying to build kingdoms unto themselves 
and not promoting the kingdom of God. And because of it, they compromise and they do. I was reading a study yesterday that said over half of all the pastors in the nation are afraid to preach on the hot topics of our culture because they don't want, they're afraid they will offend people and that they will lose people. Listen, that's not God. That's not God. And the more I see of that and the more I see the divisiveness and the, and the, and the falling away, the apostasy within the, the church, I understand now. You always tell the story of how I, I debated with God about coming into the ministry. I said, there's a church on every corner. They all disagree. I got started late. What am I going to say? And he said, they're not what you think. They're not what you think. And they're doing great damage because they come in and they, and they are trying, like I said, to build a kingdom unto themselves instead of trying to populate the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and when you start taking liberties with the word of God and then you, there's certain areas you won't preach on and, and you won't talk about and you won't admit because uh, you think it might be offensive to someone, well, you're going to be in big trouble. And you're going to cause others to go astray because of it. It's not out of meanness that we preach the truth to those who are living apart from it. It's out of love because the word of God is the truth that's going to set them free. And then they'll be able to live for God and and be who God created them to be. Anything else is not going to lead to 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 the results that they hope for. So where's our heart, you know? Is love of self really prevalent in our lives as well? Or do we, you know, because that's the solution. The solution to selfishness is, since it's always lurking around, is to, 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 to apply the cure of loving something else, someone else, more than self. We need to love Jesus more than anything. And that needs to be our motivation for everything. And if we want to change that selfishness, look at what we, who we're praising, who we're giving glory to with our words, with our attitudes. Just begin praising Jesus, giving him the glory and honor for everything because he deserves it. And pretty soon you'll preach yourself happy and you can get your right, mind right. But you need to stay in the word and you need to stay close to the Lord. I posted up a, a post the other day that, that I always draw on because when the Lord showed me this it it helped me because whenever I start feeling distance from the Lord I I run to him instead of from him most people that are doing things wrong or just not quite right they feel conviction condemnation they'll run and they'll hide from the Lord they'll get separated from the the pack and that's when the wolf can take advantage of you but when I stay close to Jesus there's no space between us for the enemy to occupy. And that's a, a smart thing to remember. If you can just remember that phrase and whenever you're feeling off, you don't have peace, close the gap between you and Jesus. Don't allow the enemy space between you to separate you and to get you into that, that, uh, that place where you're in big trouble because you don't want that, right? <laughs> well, praise you, Jesus. I, uh, I just want to finish up here just a, a, a few more verses um, in John 
and then we're, we'll be done. But we're on, uh, we're in John 12, uh, looking at the, the seventh verse. Jesus said, leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know, I love uh, John chapter 12. I like looking at the humanity of Jesus. It, it uh, makes me love him more and more. It gives me a, a, a greater, greater model for my life. And that's how we should all look at it when we see Jesus. We learn of his, from his ministry. And that's how we should conduct our lives <clears throat> as he did when he was here in human form. Amen. What amazing Lord and Savior we have. His resolve to do God's will so that we would be saved and his compassion, his sensitivity, his wisdom. We like to take a look at his life to see his friendships, his enemies. And and the question that I like to ask everyone is, do you see yourself in one of the roles there at the banquet that day? You know, you might see yourself as Lazarus, a true and a thankful friend of Jesus, comfortable in his presence. Maybe a Simon the leper, just glad that you've been saved from the plague of, of leprosy, which is a picture of the sin that we were in before we were saved, and now we're cleansed from it. Some might see themselves as Mary, just adoring the Lord, giving Him all your admiration and love. And then there's Martha, who was just caught up in trying so hard to serve Him and to serve others in, in her life. Wearing herself out and trying to, to get everything just right just to find out that what they she really needs is just to continue serving, of course, because that's her gift, but to find balance in there and take a lesson from Mary and learn to just sit at the Lord's feet and to let him minister to her. No matter who we are in this picture, he loves us, you know, he loves us. But if we look at this picture and today we see Judas, we see ourselves as Judas, maybe a lot of hypocrisy in our lives. Maybe we're completely self-absorbed and selfish or greedy, jealous. We know Judas, he could have repented, you know, he could have while he was alive, he could have repented. He had many opportunities. Jesus knew all along that he was stealing from him. He never mentioned it. You know, he could have repented. Jesus died for your sins just like he did for Lazarus and Mary's. You know, there was also some religious leaders there that day. I'm going to read this. Starting at the ninth verse. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came not only because of him but also to see Lazarus these were spectators you know they wanted to see this guy that was raised from the dead and, and all this so the big crowd came and uh, so the chief priests here comes the religious folks right they made plans to kill Lazarus as well they wanted to kill Lazarus because he had been raised from the dead now that's something right there that, that reminds me, this reminds me of how, you know, Jesus is so comforting. He says, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. 
Because I just look around, I'm like, how do they hate the ones who love them the most? Christians who will always protect them and, and pray for them, you know? Just because the Christian doesn't want to make them a cake or call their lifestyle good, they're still always going to love them and pray for them. How can they hate them and want them dead? Well, same thing here. These people wanted to kill Lazarus just because he had been raised from the dead because they hated Jesus so much. My goodness. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and set upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd, he was fulfilling prophecy all the way. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. (coughs) Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment in this world, on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Amen. You know, some people might see themselves like the religious leaders of that day, just really hard-hearted and they rejected the Son of God. There are a lot of people out there like that. I hope if anyone is hearing this message, even all around the world, those of you in Japan and London and California, we see you listening and we're thankful for you. And we, um, we just hope that, pray that you will receive the Lord Jesus if you haven't. And if you have, that this message blesses you and helps you and heals you wherever you hurt. 
But there were people there that plotted Jesus' death. They were fearful that Rome would discipline them and ruin the good thing that they had going if they allowed Jesus to continue working miracles and doing the things that he was doing. Everyone was coming to him because of the things they had seen and heard happen, you see. So these people were trying to put a stop to it because they were more concerned about the things of this world than they were about the things of God. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. So it's always a trap of the devil when we get into trying to please man instead of God. I think we really have a bunch of Lazarus and Marys and uh, and not a bunch of the the Pharisees and the hypocrites. But no matter what, Jesus loves all of us. And if you have a breath in your body, you still have the opportunity to turn and to believe God. Put your trust in Jesus. Accept the free gift of salvation. It's not a question of whether or not God will save you. The question is, will you put your trust in his son Jesus to be the savior of your soul? It's a free gift available to all who will accept him. If you will lay down your life, if we lay down our life for him, he will cause us to take up a new life in and through him, which is glorious and eternal. We are loved I like to finish this by just quoting a little uh, verse from a Casting Crown song, a group that a Christian group that Tavana and I really like. It says, if your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and I always will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word today. We thank you for teaching us and for giving us a glimpse into your beautiful life, your dedication, your bravery, into your friendships and your hardships. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to keep our hearts open to you and to be mindful of all um, that you do and to and that you have for us every day, everything that you give to us and everything that you want us to, to be and to do and to draw upon your power and your grace by faith to receive all that you have for us, knowing that the time is short and eagerly awaiting your return, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.